0: Hello and welcome to the third part of The Lost Tribe, Book One, The Traveler. I am your humble author and narrator Peter Ivy. This week I will be reading from chapters five, six, and seven. If you enjoy them, please like and share. If you are interested in physical copies, the books are all available on Amazon. As usual, pimping myself, yes I know. Thank you, and let's begin. Chapter five. I came out of the stranger's trap, tumbling into a snow covered forest. I yelled as I realized I was on a slight slope, and I crashed into a large pine tree with enough impact to knock me senseless as my head, neck, and right shoulder collided with it. I kind of slumped down the trunk. My furs in disarray and my weapons, well, God's nowhere. I could feel the irony tang of blood in my mouth. I bit in my lip as well, final insult, wonderful. I could not summon the wherewithal to move. I knew I hadn't broken anything, but the shock combined with the pain was enough to leave my head spinning. Gracelessly, I let my body's own weight slide me the rest of the way down where my face blissfully made contact with a fresh layer of snow to numb the pain. I contemplated my situation, trying to ignore the rising tide of unpleasant sensation coming from the right side of my body. My plan had failed, miserably. The stranger had given me no real information apart from all-knowing hints and outright denials which were far from what I desired. A straight answer. Hell, a few straight answers. What he said as he faded away puzzled me. Was he just being vague again for the purposes of confounding me? Or had he really attempted to help me by sending me here? Things were going great so far. The pain in my head was intolerable, even though it was numbed by the cold. My shoulder was agony, and my neck felt raw where it scraped against the bark. I could hear my blood rushing in my ears as I tried to manage the pain. I, I, I heard something else. What was that? There was a sound like crunching uh, footsteps in the snow. Rapid footsteps! Someone coming! I reached down deep in my mind and tried to summon the will to move. The cold was comfortable, somehow warm. I was going to die face down if I didn't move. With great effort, I pushed myself up enough to flop onto my back, breathing heavy now. (sighs) Pain swelled through my neck and shoulder, bleeding out my head like a bonfire. I gritted my teeth, opened my eyes, and looked around for my weapons. The footsteps were closing on me. There was no sign of my blade anywhere, it was probably lost in the snow. That would make it interesting. I was halfway down the slope against the tree and I could now see silhouettes moving up the slope, moving between the trees, their feet kicking up plumes of snow as they ran. I pushed myself up, putting my back against the tree as the figures approached. They were armed with spears and covered in fur-trimmed leathers that would have been the envy of my hunter friends back in Tarouge. They were really moving again, picking up momentum with the slope. I had a mad moment where I could feel the power surge in me again, and to opened my hand enough to summon a tree branch that had fallen a few feet away, something to defend myself. It was cold, but solid and reassuring in my grip. I wouldn't go down without a fight. Maybe. Right before they were on top of me, I raised the branch to defend myself from the incoming blows, and, and they ran right past me. As they passed, I could see a look of terror on their faces that I hadn't seen since the Maria. They were running from something. I watched the mess that kept on going, down the slope and into a ravine that looked like it wound around and down this area like a natural trench. I spun back around, alarmed at the implication of danger. But there was nothing. I tried to get up, but I was still so woozy. I fell to my knees, exhausted and cold. Then something started happening above in the trees. I saw trickles of snow and pine branches fall in succession. Closer and closer. Something was moving. Somewhere high up in the trees, up higher than I could see. I raised my head to look at it as it passed over me and continued, following the course that the men that had fled past me had taken. I didn't need any other motivation. Despite my pain, I wheeled my body into action and pushed myself to my feet. I started stumbling forward up the slope. I momentarily forgot my pains, focusing on one step after another as I strode upward to get away. I thought about trying to open a portal, but I had no idea what was happening I didn't want to die while I was concentrating enough to try to open the way. A hoarse, agonizing scream, tore through the forest. I quickened my pace, remembering how I used to walk faster through the hall at night in my parents' house, going to my room not wanting to turn for fear of what I imagined was walking after me. My breathing was starting to get worse. I wouldn't last long like this. My head was pounding furiously now. I got to the top of the hill. It was flat, and the ground was interspersed with pine shrubs among the trees. The cover was better here. I gave in to my weariness and sat down on my haunches behind a pair of shrubs, and kept my eyes on the top of the slope. I dearly wished I had something to defend myself with, but I doubted I could think clearly enough to pull off the trick again and bring my weapons to me. It's the breath in the air that gives the prey away. A voice said, slightly muffled, but distinct enough to be close. I cursed myself for not putting a handful of snow in my mouth as my friends in Taros had showed me. Simmy would get a good laugh, at least. The pain was making me careless. I debated trying to run for it. All that running and pushing yourself... "'has truly put you at a disadvantage,' it said, somewhere close. It had a strange, distorted quality. The debate was over. I chose to push the limits of my endurance again, and tried to remember the feel of the handle of the blade in my hand, the reassuring weight. There was a way past the pain to the power underneath it all, power that I reached for now. It is the sure and steady step that leads to the prize.' I leapt up, feeling the power come into me again. And my hand held my blade once more. I raised it in defiance of whatever fate had planned for me. A figure stepped up from behind the tree where I had sat. It was cloaked and hooded in hide, wary in step, and moved with the natural grace of an animal. It stood stock still, regarding me unwaveringly from underneath the hooded cloak. I could see it also wore some sort of scarf or bandana across the lower part of its face. That explained the muffled quality. I did not see any weapons, but I decided to assume that it could arm itself quickly and very easily. The vigor seemed to relax then, and I found myself lowering my blaze that lifted its head. It reached up and pulled the hood back to reveal a black-haired man with a dark wool bandana tied around so it covered his nose and drew tightly across his face. A face that bore eyes that shone like green fire. Chapter 6 There were a lot of things I'd rehearsed in my head to say at this point, but I couldn't bring myself to say any of them right now. I was transfixed by the man's eyes. Is that what I looked like now when the power surged in me? It was very unnerving to see it in someone else. Now that I could see him clearly with his hood up, I could also see there was something wrong with the part of his face I could see slightly beneath the bandana where it didn't quite cover it. There were terrible scars that made his skin gnarled and tough like tree bark. I didn't want to be rude, so I spoke up. What did you mean, pray? I asked. Did you mean me? Yes, he replied, still not moving. Like those men that passed by here a few moments ago? No, I think not like them at all. More like myself, I would say. Well, then you're prey too, I said smugly. We are uh-huh. all prey. His voice was very odd. And he seemed to really strain on the hard consonants. I moved a bit closer. He didn't seem to react at all, but I knew he could probably take me down before I got close, if he wanted to. I think we can both agree that there's some kind of kinship between us. I suppose that's true. He agreed, relaxing to stand more at ease. The way I see it, this can go one of two ways. Either we kill each other in some meaningless fight for dominance, or we can share a meal, sit a spell, and exchange information. I disagree
1: with your interpretation, but you look to be in bad shape, and I will not kill you without giving you the time to rest."
0: (laughs) I had no idea if he was joking or not. I decided I would at least give me time to look around for something to brain him with, you know, in case things go sour. Well, (laughs) that's something then, I replied. He sat down and began to unpack a few bags that he had tucked under the cloak. I caught the glint off the metal of the hilts of several throwing knives strapped in a belt across his chest, and a short, broad weapon secured on his hip. While he unpacked, I gathered some of the lower, uncovered branches and made a pile for a fire. I flicked out my flint and steel, noticing the man's intense gaze as I struck sparks to get the blaze started. He pulled out an iron pen from his kit and began to cook the contents of one of the leather sacks he had tied on his person. Chunks of raw meat sizzled and cooked in the hot skillet. He handed me a knife from one of his sheaths while he was cooking. You will share in this. I looked at the blade in his hand and raised an eyebrow. Pah! You think I'd give you a blade if I could not screw your eye before you closed on me? Eat. We ate dinner, sparing very little in terms of conversation. Afterward, we exchanged stories. He told me his name was Falkir. I gave him my name as well. He came from an ancient world, the history of which was very similar to the old civilizations from my world. His mother had been a camp follower in the army of a great general of a hard and militant people called the Akala. They had been traveling across land in a campaign of conquest when she took up with them. Shortly afterward, Falkir was born, in the makeshift dregs of that war. He seemed to skip many details about this time, revealing that his father had been a cruel man, part of a detachment of torturers and thugs in the army and that it was his father who maimed him and killed his mother. As he told his tale, there was a strange glint in his eyes, a kind of excitement that came in the telling that was kind of disturbing to behold. I quickly turned the conversation to current events, telling him of the stranger and my efforts to gain information from him. He is not human. I don't think so. I saw him suffer wounds that should have put him down, and he didn't bleed. That saves me some time. He has exiled me as well,
1: many times. I was going to do something to curb his cruelty, except I had planned on a different outcome.
0: Well, it seems that he can't be killed physically, only subdued, which I was able to do. That was your plan? Just to kill him? Something like that, he replied, rifling around in his pockets. Excuse me for a moment. What are you... I asked, glancing down at the knife he had given me. He produced a small clay container, red in the firelight, and excused himself as he stood and turned away for a moment. I watched as he pulled off his scarf and bandana and began to rub some kind of oily substance from the container onto his face. It reminded me of how my fellow hunters in Tarot showed me how to rub blubber from whales into my skin while we hunted on the plains. It kept the skin moisturized and prevented it from cracking. I had a feeling that Felker maybe did it for a very similar reason. The thought of attacking him did cross my mind, but instead I moved closer to the knife. I knew I probably couldn't trust him, but all the same, I couldn't just kill my only link to the others of my kind. He completed his ritual, and redressed, turning back to me afterward. "'What is your
1: gift, Mick?'
0: he asked, sitting down at the fire again. "'Just like that? I don't even know if I can trust you, Felker.'" "'Trust begins with risk.'" I hesitated for a moment. There was a good chance that he had already seen me use my power earlier when he approached, but I couldn't be sure. I decided to risk it. I can swap objects... "'and some of them to me by will. "'I am, in a sense, never defenseless,' I said, gathering my will. "'I swapped the knife for one of his throwing blades, "'making it seem as if the knife suddenly grew. "'Then the knife appeared in my other hand. "'I shook my fists and swapped them out again. Valkyr watched me very closely. "'That is impressive. "'It is a shame I cannot demonstrate his will.' "'Oh, really?' I said, trying to sound surprised. "'I knew he might hold back to keep a tactile advantage. "'Yes.' I can truck those I have tasted through any reality, and even
1: through reality into the next. How would you care to have me demonstrate that?
0: Uh, well, I kind of stopped on the word tasted. Ah, yes, that is where the unsavory nature of my power comes to light.
1: I have to have the blood, you see. To hunt the prey, I must taste of it. I got up and stepped back a bit. "'You see, Mick, my father gave me the task of tending to the dogs in camp. "'And in the end, after he had killed my mother, he fed me to those same dogs. "'He had starved them for days before doing so. "'So they were so hungry, they did not even know me, or if they did, they did not care. "'I had to kill them, but not before they had eaten most of my face.' I killed the only creatures I'd ever truly cared for.
0: I'm sorry for what happened to you, I said, gathering my will once again. I broke loose from the kennels after that.
1: Even after they turned on me, I still felt remorse for their destruction. Such weakness. The power was let loose in me then. It began to grow to fill me, as I am sure did you. Do you know what I did then?
0: I have no godly idea, I said, feeling a sense of growing danger. I found him in his tent, he said, pulling off his scarf.
1: And I killed him for what he did to my life. That was the first time I tasted human
0: flesh, he said flatly, pulling off his bandana. But not the last. The face underneath, below his nose, was a horror I could not easily reckon with. His mouth and jaws were grossly distended, distorted by scar tissue, and shone an angry red in the firelight. I realized he was rubbing the fat into his skin to keep it pliant, to keep it flexible. His cheeks were gone, and it gave him the look of a hound itself, his teeth revealed by the absence of skin, abnormally large and yellowed. As I gazed upon his face, his eyes began to glow with excitement and power, the high green of a predatory beast. I trust you enjoyed this, stew," he asked, his tongue rolling between his teeth. Chunks of meat fell from my spoon, plopping and sinking into the juices. I choked and dropped the bowl. The realization of my unknowing cannibalism enraged and sickened me. I swapped my weapons to my hands, going on the defensive against the seemingly inevitable.
1: What I have wondered since I met you, Mick, and please forgive me for such thoughts, but I wonder how powerful I will become after I eat you. I'll be sporting
0: about it out of respect. Of course. He raised his face to the sky and howled, (laughs) then looked back at me with a grin. I ran. It was time to get the hell away from my horrid new kin. I ran down the hill as I heard him start to scramble up one of the trees. I cursed myself for not swapping out his large blade for the knife he gave me, but I had a feeling that being slashed or stabbed were the least of my worries with Valkyr. I hurried down into the valley where the other men went. It would be hard to summon a portal under this much duress, and I needed distance and time to do it. Then I tripped over a frozen corpse and went sprawling into the snow. I picked myself quickly, realizing to see the frozen, bloody remains of two of the men that Falkir had slaughtered. My gorge rose, but I had no time to be sick now. A howl of laughter peeled from high above me. I was running out of time. I took off again, following the valley down. The trees began to thin. And it seemed to get lighter ahead. I could hear the branches breaking above me, and I raced to get up from under the canopy. It was only then that I recognized my error. Ahead of me, twenty feet away, the valley simply dropped away into a crevasse, and I could hear the roar of a river down below as it crashed through the mountain pass. I was cut off completely. There was nowhere to go. No route to escape to save back where I came from, into the waiting arms of death. I turned around. He leapt down from the trees, his cloak flowing in the wind as he landed in a crouch. His eyes were blazing with whatever dark energy fueled his power, the same energy that was flowing into me. He threw off his cloak, revealing the throwing blades and a sheathed sword. These he also threw off. He laughed as he approached me. I watched as he removed his gloves, revealing fingers that ended in cruel-looking claws. "'We wouldn't want to sully this moment with those crude implements, would we, Mick? It seems your road has truly come to an end,' says you, beast.' I think I'll keep my steel in my hand. Suit yourself. There is one thing I'd like to ask you, though. One last thing, I said, raising my blades. He grinned, an expression I could only follow high on the skin of his cheekbones. It matters not. Go ahead, he said, stretching and flexing his claws. I stepped back, keeping out of his reach. Your mother was a cat follower, right? A whore? Yes, she was. Well, what I want to know is why you're so mad about a dead whore. Or did your daddy settle for you instead in the interval? That would explain a lot. He leapt for me then, and I was only able to block one claw before the other one seized me. He howled in rage, knocking my knife away as he closed in. I summed up my will as he crashed into me, and we fell together to the ground near the edge of the crevasse. He landed on top of me and roared. My arms were pinned by his weight, so I couldn't do a damn thing as his jaws bit into my shoulder. Pressure was gruesome the pain horrid as he lifted his head to dribble gore from my wounded shoulder onto my face. I screamed and gritted my teeth. The prey is weak, he mouthed, jaws dripping blood. I twisted my left arm, and it was his turn to scream. I am not your damn prey! I pushed Felker up, letting the sword he left in its sheath up the hill steam with blood in his guts. He collapsed onto his back, gasping as I rolled over to kneel on top of him. My shoulder, my poor, mutilated shoulder, was in pure agony. However, I had unfinished business that surpassed any physical ailment. Valkyr, look at me, I said, putting my hand on the pommel of his sword. He looked up at me, the green light fading in his eyes. As of that moment, my heart became cold to him, for there was nothing I could find in myself to spare him from the great gorge of regret and anguish that fueled my wrath. I don't know what we are or how it is that we're so different. You and I may be tied together in some way, but as far as I'm concerned, we're not alike at all. I gave a strong twist on the pommel, and Falker howled in pain. Blood began to ooze from his jaws, blood that was not entirely mine from the bite. I stood, favoring my shoulder, as he writhed on the ground. I gritted my teeth, and with one good kick, Falkir tumbled over the side and disappeared down into the gravass. I sheathed my weapons, grimacing as I realized my left arm was going numb. I wasted no more time and opened a portal. The lights of a major city at night spilled out into the twilight, snowy valley, and I jumped through. Chapter Seven. The streets were slick with rain, and I stumbled under streetlights, trying to find my way and follow the signs to the hospital. People got out of my way pretty fast. I was covered in furs and leathers. armed with the sword might have been bleeding profusely from the wound in my shoulder. My hood was pulled down, but I could feel the damp through it all. I was beginning to shake, and I could feel that the wound was already getting hot. There was definitely something in Falkir's bite, and my head was throbbing with pain. I was starting to feel vaguely unwell for my meal as well. When it rains, it pours, and now it was all coming down on me. Valkyr's death bothered me. There had been nothing to redeem or admire about him save for the fact that he had been given the same gift, albeit in a different form than I had. And yet, he became something awful in spite of it. Was that why I killed him? I wasn't sure where the compulsion to destroy him had come from. Had it been pity, revulsion, or simply contempt for his sorry state? The wounds both to my shoulder and to my hope for some kind of meaningful connection to another of my kind did not help. No one had stopped me either. The stranger who told me he wasn't allowed to kill me hadn't prevented me from killing Falkir. Maybe they could pick and choose. That didn't sound right, damn it. I stopped at a red light, wheezing and sore, vaguely aware that someone was shouting at me. I looked up, trying to figure out what was going on. Things were getting kind of slow now. There were a couple across the street in jogging suits, with hoods pointing at me. The girl was trying to shout something. Behind her, standing just over her right shoulder, was the stranger. He smiled, raised his hand, and waved at me. Someone grabbed at me from behind and I struggled away from the grip to look back at the stranger. He was gone. The couple was still shouting. What the hell was their problem? Then I vaulted as if a springboard had been beneath my feet. There was pain. Somewhere. But I could not look away from the blue taxi that hung suspended above me. I... no, below me? The driver looked truly shocked. I laughed at the look on his face. You should see me, pal! Then inertia, gravity, and a few other things that make being run over truly suck returned return to play. I... Careful there, boy, my dad said. I snapped back up to attention, grabbing up the piece of the net I had been repairing when I dozed off. Repairing nets was a tedious, boring job, and it was so easy to fall asleep once you got into the rhythm. Tie it, loop it, then knot it. Tie it, loop it, then knot it. Tie it, loop, knot. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was young and very bored. My dad sat on the other side of the room in the little shack we kept for storage. There was about eight feet to work in, with a small bench and some tools in one corner near where the only good window was that looked out towards the harbor. Dad had his dark blue cap shrugged down so the little tufts of his red hair poked under the cap to lay about in curls about his forehead. His brows were slightly furrowed, his blue eyes locked onto the jig he was trying to fix. He wore his flannel shorts and an old blue shirt, which he let hang out loose. He nodded at me. Are ye awake? "Ay, ah, yeah, I said, nodding back. Sorry, duh. He chuckled. No matter, boy, no matter. He said, still intent on the jig in his hands. The day's lazy, and you're following suit. No matter. He smiled and put the jig down. He pulled his old watch out from his pocket and tapped the side lightly to open it. The old watch had been given to him by his grandfather before he left to fight in the last war. It was rough and dinged on the outside, but worked like a charm, or so my dad said. Can you go back? I asked. Not quite yet, Mickey he replied, tucking the watch back in his pocket. My dad's face changed, his cheeks puffy out a little bit as he sighed, his eyebrows lifting up once, then down, settling into the expression he wore when he had to talk about something we wouldn't like. My sisters were already really tense when he got like this. "'Your ma tells me you're all but signed up for the academy,' he said, his tone dropping down on the last word. "'Well, yeah,' I replied. I tried to keep my dad out of my dream of joining up. Only my ma had known I was serious enough to go after it. Do you know what you're getting into? Yeah, duh. I hashed it out with the other fellas. It's just school, duh. It's military school, Mickey. And so? All I'm saying is that you're going to be taught what they think you should know, rather than what you choose for yourself, he said, and then shook his head. And if I choose all of it for myself... Like fixing nets? He had me cold. I couldn't think of anything. He started chuckling. <laughs> think about it, boy, he said. It's all I ask. He stood up and came over. He reached out his hand to help me up. Okay, da. I agreed. I will. Good, he said. Now come over to the bench. I want to show you something. He stepped over the netting, and he motioned for me to grab him a long, thin, wide wooden case that was wedged awkwardly in a box of odds and ends under the bench. I managed to wiggle it out, and put it on the bench. There were tiny silver hooks and eyes along the one side. The box was old and made of a wood I didn't recognize. My dad began to undo the catches. "'I didn't want to show you this until you were ready, Mickey,' he said, looking at me very seriously. "'Why? Are you ready?' "'Show me, Dad,' I moaned. "'Then let's get home.' He nodded. He opened the box. What lay inside was surrounded by soft green silk, and it left me unable to speak for a moment. There was a flash of light along one side of it, and my eyes found both sorrow and beauty in all the tales it foretold. A tear rolled down my cheek. Dad closed the box. I looked back up to him. He smiled. "'I'm a long way from home, Dad.' I know, Mickey," he said, leaning towards the bench. The light changed in the shack, turning a lush and verdant green. I turned to look out onto the wharf. A green orb hung suspended in the sky, the green light pulsing out of it and coruscating rich waves.
1: What is that?
0: I don't know," he replied. Another voice said, "I cannot tell you." Why? I said, turning to see the strangers leaning on the bench. It would destroy me. Oh. We stood looking at the green orb. Something was very strange here. Wasn't my dad here, didn't I? Uh, Do you know what a catheter is, Mickey? I I don't think so. Should I? Enjoy the next few days, traveler. I began to feel something then. A wicked pain shot through my groin. You can't do this to me. Who the hell do you think you are? I felt a firm hand on my thigh. I looked down as my view switched to myself lying horizontal in a hospital bed, and I saw a nurse trying to shove a tube into me. I noted there were already tubes in me. What, what the hell happened? I felt the tube go in and started fighting. Hey! The nurse shouted. Hey, guys, b- bring me 20 mils of sedative. He's not going to let me do this. Ah! I gurgled through the tube in my mouth. I really just wanted to quip about how she should have brought me dinner first. But I was suddenly returned to a body that was severely restricted. Young fellow in blue scrubs came in and stuck a needle into one of the tubes going into me. I realized they were going to put me out and there was nothing I could do. I felt like such a fool. My eyes rolled away as consciousness peeled in little ribbons to reveal the backdrop of big black nothing sleep. Thank you for tuning in this week for this week's reading of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. Please like and share.